Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's new book, Paperboy. To order today, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on store. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. we got to bring in a new voice, a young voice, a rising voice, Grace Curley. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator. Especially Grace, Grace, stand up. Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curley. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. I just want to read you a little bit here from the Federalist, according to the New York Times, Justice Arthur Engeron ruled that the former president is liable for conspiring to manipulate his net worth and mandated he pay a penalty of $355 million that could wipe out his entire stockpile of cash. The justice also banned Trump from serving in top roles at any New York company, including his own, for three years. The lawsuit against Trump, his children and their business was filed by New York Attorney General Letitia James, a Democrat who campaigned on weaponizing the legal system to target Trump. Joining us now from Silva and Salinas is Mark Salinas. Mark, I would love for you, first of all, to just give us your reaction to this case and to the damages that Trump is being asked to pay. The amount of damages are just absolutely staggering. I mean, this this isn't the type of thing that you see every day in the legal community. But, you know, given what's gone on with Donald Trump and his sort of luck, as I would say, with his cases, it probably is really no surprise. Yeah, and I want to talk about that because there was an accounting professor who actually during a previous court testimony said there is no evidence whatsoever of any accounting fraud by Trump. So how did they manage this if there was really, first of all, no victims, but they also couldn't figure out exactly what he did wrong? How how did they maneuver this to come up with the decision that he owes $350 million? Well, that's what everyone has scratching their heads. How did you actually calculate this damages amount? And it seems to be purely punitive in nature, because as you said, Grace, unlike what you see in most cases, there was no victim here. Uh, Donald Trump was paying all these loans that were based on this fraud case. So there was really no loss that was uh, that was incurred by anybody here. So how this damages award came about it's everybody's best guess as to where that number came from. And you know that had to have been based on what the perceived net worth of Donald Trump is as well. Um, You know, any big corporation that's going to get hit with a fine, when the courts are going to hit somebody with a fine, they want to make sure that it's going to uh, make an impact. So clearly that factored in here. Now, a lot of uh, experts are saying, and just anyone who's been following these cases, that there's really no way Trump doesn't appeal this, uh, just like he's going to appeal the decision with E. Jean Carroll. Um, Do you think that this case specifically involving the $350 million, do you think this goes to the Supreme Court or does it get corrected by a court even before then? I would say most like the most likely place where this will get corrected or it should get corrected is in the appeals court. So the appeal is going to be based on there's two factors we're going to look at. One, was there any liability? Should the judgment have come down the way that it that it did? And what I mean by that is on appeal, the appellate lawyers will say this decision was against the weight of the evidence and it was just a, an abuse of discretion because he didn't in actuality 
commit any fraud in filling out any of these um, these loan applications. And then they'll show the evidence that they had and say, look, the judges shouldn't have done it this way. Then the second prong of this is if there was liability, is this damages award in excess? And the argument would be is that it was an abuse of discretion by the judge and it wasn't based on any of the facts of the case. And I think that's where this decision is most vulnerable for an appeal. Mark, I'm speaking with Mark Salinas from Silva and Salinas. One thing that is is happening now, and you actually alluded to this about other businesses in New York, is the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, is trying to assure other business owners that this isn't going to happen to you. You're different than Donald Trump. If you were a business owner in New York, would that offer you any sort of comfort just hearing from the governor that for whatever reason this is different and and Donald Trump's being treated one way, but we can assure you you won't be treated that way in the future? No, it wouldn't give me any reassurance whatsoever. What it what it, it sounds like to me is it depends on who you are and where your politics align. And if your politics don't align with what the popular party is at the time, then you're subject to this type of consequences. And think about that statement that's coming out by the governor in a way to justify this, to say, look, we're not going to treat all the other businesses this way. We're just treating Donald Trump that way. Implicit in that statement is treated differently than everybody else. And that's what gets people absolutely outraged about these decisions. And it gets people outraged regardless of what your political beliefs are. That, pe- that Donald Trump is being treated differently than everybody else. And that's the fear there. You might get singled out for reasons that are completely unrelated to a particular court case. Have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever seen anyone treated like this by the justice system in all of your time being a lawyer? Absolutely not. We've never seen anything like this. And it's just amazing, Chris. Every time you, I come on the show, it, it's it's almost that same question. Have you ever seen anything like this? And it seems like every step of the way, something gets worse and Donald Trump is being treated differently because of who he is, whether or not it's it's the, the fraud case or the sex abuse case, the defamation case. He, he's always being treated differently than anybody else that was in this case. And there is no way that another individual in these same circumstances would have the same fines. And just look at how he was treated during the course of these cases as well. With the judge in the civil fraud case, he wouldn't give Donald Trump a single break on anything. A lot of the evidence that he wanted to put in was limited, and that's what you see across the country on these lawsuits. He's always being treated differently than everybody else. Yeah, and he's always getting gag orders put in place, too. Even if it's just temporarily, he's also being you know, muzzled as far as what he can say and what he can say in defense of himself. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Mark, since we have you here, and I'm sure you were following it as much as you could last week, is the disqualification hearing where we were able to... To, uh, witness testimony from Fannie Willis, her lover, now ex-lover Nathan Wade, and her father. What did you make of that? So this is what a lot of people are saying is the strongest case that Democrats have against Donald Trump. It's out of Fulton County. And Fannie Willis, her performance, a lot of people said she's an unserious person. She did not conduct herself well. She was very entitled. She was very rude to the lawyer asking her questions. Um, give us your take as a lawyer. Uh, what did you make of her testimony? She she really kept embellishing all of her stories and going into a lot of uh, what seemed like extraneous detail. What did you make of Fannie Willis on the stand? 
it was far worse than I ever could have imagined <laughs> in my wildest dreams. Really? When you had asked me about this case originally, I had said, you know, Grace, this is what bothers me. Where, where it bothers me personally is it gives the legal profession a bad name and it gives lawyers a bad name. And when I saw these hearings, I was, I was absolutely shocked. I was shocked at the way that Fannie Willis conducted herself on the stand. And I was absolutely shocked and dismayed about the content of, of what she was saying. All of this discussion about this cast flying around. When you're a lawyer, you're held to very high standards. And that is particularly true when you're handling cash, retainers, client fees, all of that. And I'll tell you, the IRS has no sympathy for lawyers that aren't being honest with their finances here. And when you start talking about all these piles of cash that are around being reimbursed for whatever reason, that's not how normal people live. And it's also not how normal attorneys do business. So between that, the content of what was being said and the way she said it, I mean, you couldn't pick a worse witness to take the stand. If that was my client, the last thing I would do would ever have them testify to anything. Yeah, that was going to be my question for you. So when she was on the stand and she was answering questions, she was going on and on and on. And I, I remember saying to Howie, I'm surprised that the lawyer who's asking her these questions, I think her name was Merchant, I'm surprised that the Trump lawyer didn't say, can we can we redirect the witness? Can we can we you know stay on point here? I don't know the exact uh, verbiage that you'd use. But Howie's point was, well, no, sometimes when you get someone who's offering up all of this extra information, they might be getting themselves into more trouble than they even realize. Do you think that was the case? Like, were, were there probably some situations where she was giving so much detail that maybe Trump's lawyers have receipts contradicting? Yeah, these are smart lawyers, and that is definitely a strategy that a trial attorney has to take into consideration. You put somebody on the stand and you're cross-examining them. Number one, you want to control the dialogue, right? You want to ask only questions that you know the answer to, and you want to control the courtroom. That's something that you learn by being a trial lawyer. But then when you also have to realize is, how does a jury or a fact finder, a judge perceive this person? And when somebody is acting in the indignant way that Fannie Willis is acting on the stand, sometimes the strategy is to lay back and let this person make a fool of themselves because they're digging their own grave. And I think that was a part of what we saw going on there. Yeah, really good point. I, I would agree with that, Mark. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you, and this is something I always think about when I'm reading about these cases that Donald Trump's dealing with, and I'm reading about how he's going to appeal this one and this one. The timing of it. Now, in certain situations, things are going to the Supreme Court. Like you said, there are other situations where um, an appellate court is going to knock it down or correct it or whatever term you'd use. But as far as the timing of this with the election, do you think that any of these cases are going to get wrapped up before the election or can Trump fight these for uh, for the foreseeable future? I would say in the normal course, you would not expect that these cases would resolve themselves within the time frame uh, that you have before the election. Really? Civil cases and appeals can go on for years. Absolutely. But, of course, like we've been saying all along, everything is different for Donald Trump. I mean, I have cases I'm involved with, very small cases compared to what we're dealing with here. And they take years to get resolved, no matter how much I'm pushing the case and how aggressively I'm litigating it. But if you're Donald Trump, unbelievable. It's like you're on the rocket docket, no matter what. I like that, the rocket docket. That's a good way to put it. Mark Salinas, we thank you so much for joining us. Mark, please let people know where they can call you and find you if they have any questions of their own. 
Well, um, sslawteam.com is our website. We have a uh, we have an office in North Andover, 978-741-2000. And again, the website is sslawteam.com. Thanks for having me, Grace. Oh, I always love having you. And I'm sure we're going to be having you a lot in the future based off the sheer amount of these cases that Donald Trump is battling at all times. Thank you, Mark Salinas. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the Biden administration and more about the border because... A lot of people right now are focusing on California, the San Diego area, and that porous border that is just being infiltrated by illegal aliens. But what we're noticing here in Massachusetts is that because of Greg Abbott, because of some of these Republican governors who are sending illegal aliens into these blue cities, people here, residents in Boston, are starting to notice that their resources and the facilities that they've grown accustomed to using are no longer available to them. And there's a lot of pushback. We're going to play you some sound. We're going to get your reaction. It's 844-500-4242. It's President's Day, and this is The Grace Curley Show. You're listening to The Grace Curley Show. This is The Grace Curley Show. Did you hear Kamala Harris had this meeting with governors, like Democrat governors, and they were all complaining to her about what a crappy job she's doing? This was from the Daily Mail. It said prominent Democrats are pulling Vice President Kamala Harris aside to express their concerns about President Joe Biden and his 2024 campaign. But based off what I was reading, it seems like they're they're expressing their concern about everything she's in charge of. When Harris hosted a group Democratic governors at her home in Washington earlier this month, Gretchen Whitmer, who's the governor from Michigan, Uh, criticized the way that the campaign was talking about abortion. It also says Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker raised concerns about the migrant crisis. And Maryland Governor Wes Moore expressed concerns about how the campaign was failing to reach young voters. All of those things, Emma, are part of Kamala Harris's job description. Like, she's the czar of all of those. She's the abortion czar. She's the border czar. I mean, short of a governor complaining about the way AI is being handled... It doesn't seem to me like they're attacking Joe Biden. It seems like they're saying, <laughs> you're not doing a good job. Lisa, you're up next on the Grace Curley Show. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi, Grace. Um, I, I just wanted to comment uh, real quick about um, the Sunday shows. Do you watch them? I, I do, Lisa. I really get a recap of them on like Newsbusters and stuff the day after. But yeah, for I, I see most of it. Yeah, I'm addicted, just like my Masterpiece Theater. So it's like Masterpiece Theater, and then it's the Sunday shows. And I start with Willie Geist, who used to be very reasonable. He seems like a nice man, but he's been so corrupted by uh, Mika and Joe Brzezinski. Yes. Yeah, you heard me. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so then Charlemagne the God comes on. I, I forget, maybe it was Cheryl Ad- Addison or whatever her name is. Or somebody, somebody had him on. But he's talking about... Um, how how much of a threat Donald Trump is, and that Joe Biden's not doing what he should do. He's not reaching out. He's not doing, you know, him and Kamala Harris aren't doing as many things or saying what they should be saying. Yeah, I and saw that. He's talking. Yeah, he's talking about how Donald Trump is a threat. He is such a liar. First of all, I didn't realize he was that short. 
so I'm kind of disappointed because he's really hot. But secondly, he was lying. He's just afraid of pissing off half of his, his audience. I don't believe him. I didn't believe him when he was on the show. He did not look truthful. Well, well, here's the thing, Lisa. I just want to remind people. So Charlemagne the God, he's the host of The Breakfast Club. He actually was the person who Joe Biden said that now infamous line, if you don't vote for me or if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. Um, and, and so he has been in this political world. And that's not all. Like, he's had a lot of moments like that. But you're right. He went on this weekend and he said that Biden is an uninspiring candidate. But Lisa's hitting the nail on the head because what what a lot of these talk show hosts and media figures are trying to do now is they're trying to say, well, yeah, sure, Joe Biden's old, but Trump is an existential threat to humanity. And we saw that also with, I don't know, Lisa, if you watch Stephen Colbert, I hope for your own mental sake that you don't. But he said something similar where it's like, people aren't taking this seriously enough because one guy's old and one guy's evil. And, and you're right. It's just none of them actually believe that. And we had Trump for four years, and I hate to break it to these people, but the world didn't end. And in fact, the world was a lot more stable than it is now. Um, And I also agree with you on Willie Geist and on Masterpiece Theater. And Lisa, I'm going to give you a recommendation. The Foresight Saga. It's old, but it's a great thing to pull up on Masterpiece Theater if you're running out of shows to watch. Sally, you're up next on The Grace Curley Show. Go ahead, Sally. Hey there, Grace. I'm calling you for the first time. Um, I listen to all your shows. Um, I'm compelled to call because I moved from New Hampshire to South Carolina. Um, I voted for Trump. I am hating what's happening to him. Um, my husband dragged me to a Nikki Haley rally in South Carolina, um, literally dragged me. He bought a T-shirt. I did not. Um, I just, you know, I want to keep an open mind, and I know that you do. And I had an epiphany, um, and I want conservatives to consider what she means. Um, I I love what Trump did for our country, um, but I'm scared about what it would mean, honestly, if he got in and all the division. Um, I will say that Nikki Haley has demonstrated a record of unifying, and um, she has a pulse on what's happening to the American people. She's much more, I think, in tune with um, middle America. Um, See, I see Sally, I appreciate you calling in. We're going to, we're about to run up against a break here and I really do appreciate you calling in and I love that you keep an open mind, but a lot of that stuff to me, it sounds so vague. Like, Oh, I'm afraid of the division. If Donald Trump gets in, I I don't really understand. Like there's division either way, as we've seen over the last four years, it's not going to go away if he doesn't get in. And the other thing is, is Nikki Haley being able to unify people. The only people I've seen that she's unifying here are Democrats with Democrats. They're the only ones who seem to be on team Haley right now. And it's only because they know she's going to lose. We'll talk more about it when we come back. Thank you for the call, though, Sally. Keep listening. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio. Welcome back. I didn't mean to cut Sally off. We were running up against it. Maybe I just didn't time it out well. But I also, I have a really hard time even entertaining the Nikki Haley talk because 
you could really just say to somebody, what's the path to victory? And that has been something I've got, I've received a lot of heat from no matter who I'm talking about. And it's always my question. It sounds kind of like the thing you hear all the time, path to victory. You know, it's what all these candidates say. But when I look at Nikki Haley, I understand now why people use that term or that expression, because you do need to be able to show people if you're going to stand in the way of the other person who has the bulk of the support in the Republican Party, then you better be able to show people how you plan on winning the nomination. And there's no path to victory. She's not even going to win in South Carolina. So I really don't want to hear how she's unifying the Midwest or the middle of the country or, or wherever if she can't even unify people in the state where she was the governor. She can't even unify the people that she used to work alongside. They're all going for Donald Trump. That that does not make me that does not that does not elicit confidence that she's going to be able to unify people across the country. She can't unify. And we have this conversation a lot where people want to talk about how somebody is the better candidate because either they're less aggressive or I don't know what term you want to use. They're less controversial than Trump or they're this or they're that. And they could you know, they could reach independence. But it does no good to reach independents if you can't reach Republicans. Republicans don't trust Nikki Haley. We could go through why and whether or not she deserves a second chance. You know, she's been on every side of the issue known to man. That's one thing you can say about her. You, you see the ads. I mean, the ads make themselves. She's on one side of an issue and then she flip-flops to the other. There was like an eight-year-old kid who asked her that question who said, you know, why, you're, you're a worse flip-flopper than John Kerry. She couldn't answer a question about the Civil War. I mean, she's not a great candidate to begin with, but I don't want to hear about how she's unifying or she has the potential to unify people in this country if she can't unify the Republican Party. That's step one. If you want to be the Republican candidate for president, don't you need the support of, I don't know, Republicans? And by the way, a a huge part of her pitch right now is, well, I get Democrats to come vote for me in these primaries like that was a big part of her thing with Sununu was oh you know Democrats are going to come out in New Hampshire and vote for Nikki Haley that doesn't make me like Nikki Haley more that makes me suspicious of Nikki Haley makes me concerned about Nikki Haley but it doesn't make me think that she's the strongest candidate and also there's a little bit of a Kamala Harris factor and I'm not trying to say they're even on the same level because I don't think anyone competes with Kamala maybe KJP but very few people com- compete with Kamala Harris's ability to say absolutely nothing and use freedom <laughs> use so many words to say so little but there is an element to Nikki Haley where I'm surprised at how when put on the spot, like she does a stump speech pretty well. She's used to it. She goes everywhere now and she just does the same thing. And that's fine. And, and that's a strength of hers. But I'm surprised at how slow on her feet she is when it comes to a person asking her a question. And I go back to that Civil War question, not because I think it was like the greatest sin ever that she didn't have a great response to it, but more so because I don't think it was a trick question and she was so kind of taken aback and keep in mind you might be saying to yourself well you know she has a better chance because not everybody has pitchforks out for Nikki Haley and the media seems to be nicer to her right now they're nicer to her right now because they know she doesn't have a shot in hell at becoming the nominee The second that she won the nomination, she'd become just like they did with John McCain. 
what was it, the Straight Talk Express, and then they started saying it was the Straight Jacket Express, they would make her out to be a complete lunatic. And it wouldn't take them long. They, the media can vilify anyone. Like, now they're big fans of Mitt Romney. They weren't big fans of Mitt Romney when he was running against Barack Obama. They had no problem slinging mud at Mitt Romney and his binders full of women. So let me assure you that if Nikki Haley were the nominee, which it's not going to happen, everybody would turn on her. And one question I do have for people a little bit is, I was I was watching, this was a couple weeks ago, it was Mark Thiessen, he was on Fox, I think he writes for The Post, he's like the conservative who writes for the, the Washington Post, and he was making this argument that people would vote for Nikki Haley, if it was Nikki Haley versus Biden, that Republicans would vote for Nikki Haley over Joe Biden. And in this hypothetical situation, I would agree that that she would be the better of the two. There's, I have no doubt about that. But I, I do wonder if a big part of Trump's base, like the real MAGA supporters, would stay home. I, I'm not suggesting it's a good idea to ever stay home for an election. But I'm not so sure that these principled conservatives like Bill Kristol or Mark Thiessen or any of these people who hate Donald Trump so much, they they constantly want to think that, well, we can choose whoever we want and Republicans will vote for them because it's better than Joe Biden. I'm just not so sure. I, I think there are Republicans who would say, I would rather stay home than vote for either of these people. Just just something I've been thinking about. And, and again, in that case, I would be telling people do not stay home. Joe Biden is worse than Nikki Haley. But I don't know if you could bank on that. I think there's a lot of people who want Trump or nothing. Um, Another update for people when it comes to Joe Biden is he's set to give the State of the Union on March 7th. This was another poll question I had in mind. Do you think Joe Biden will deliver a State of the Union? What do you think, Emma? You seem skeptical. Yeah, I think so. I think they they shoot him up enough. He'll be able to do it. He needs to do it. Like, he needs... He went on this big rant on Friday... About how, because um, Alexei Navalny uh, died in prison, and he turned that into, he decided to politicize th- that in in the sense of, oh well, Republicans should be passing this bill to send sixty billion dollars to Ukraine. Somehow, Alexei Navalny dying became the fault of MAGA Republicans in this country. And then he had this weird tangent about how Republicans are going on a two week break, on a two week vacation. This man has gone on vacation for 40% of his presidency. And he's lecturing Republicans now on how they shouldn't be taking a break and going on vacation. This is the St. Croix is a tradition in my family guy, by the way. This is the, uh, is there a billionaire hedge fund person with a house on Nantucket that I could borrow over Thanksgiving kind of guy. And he's going to lecture other people on taking a vacation. But in a couple of weeks, he's set to give the State of the Union. And I just wanted to read you a couple of things here from Axios. A new window into the Biden campaign's flux comes from CNN, which reports that some leading Democrats fear the campaign might be stumbling past a point of no return. It also says that um, everyone around him is well aware, well aware of the need to jack this campaign up said a source close to Biden. The only way to deal with the negative aftershocks of the special counsel's report 
is for the president to be out there, to be visible, to be strong of presence and strong of voice. Well, those are two things that he's not very good at. So it will be interesting to see. Now, keep in mind, I think another huge concern of the Biden White House is that so he's supposed to deliver the State of the Union on March 7th, right? Five days later, Republicans are going to hold a hearing and they're going to bring out special counsel Robert Hur. So Joe Biden needs to go out and try to fight back against this idea that he's losing his grip and that he's, you know, cognitively in decline. The last time he tried to fight back against that, he confused the president of Egypt with the president of Mexico. So hopefully this time around, he'll stick to the teleprompter. But then five days later, we're going to hear from Robert Hur, who is now being described as like a partisan hack, not a neurologist. How dare he comment on Biden's mental fitness Um, And so I think there's a lot riding on that State of the Union. I think it will be short. And I think Emma's right. I think they're going to really try to physically prep him to be able to handle it for like 15 minutes. But those State of the Unions, they can throw you. You know, he's given if you look back on the State of the Union addresses that he's given in the past. And that was, you know, obviously when he was mentally a little bit sharper. He's had a lot of flubs just in his last one. I remember watching it and thinking like, oh, there's a lot of sound for tomorrow. So I can't imagine how bad this is. And they aren't afraid to heckle. Yeah. Like Republicans, you mean? Ah, yeah. What did they heckle last time? Marjorie Taylor Greene was heckling something. There was a balloon attached to somebody. They were shouting lies and... Yeah. Yeah, and that really threw... We know the heckling throws him. And there'll probably be uh, anti-Israel protesters there, too, if history's any guide. Uh, today's poll question is brought to you by local Silver Mint, located in Ware, New Hampshire. Silver Dave will work with you directly, so contact him at localsilvermint.com. Emma Foley, what is the poll question and what are the results thus far? Today's poll question is, do you think Trump's legal battles are helping or hurting his election chances? I think they are helping agrees with you. 16% say hurting. Okay, so when we continue this conversation, we are going to talk about illegal immigration and what is happening now. Now, Biden, according to sources, is considering an executive order to stem the flow. Now, we were told for years at this point that he couldn't do that. Like, he could use executive orders. He could... uh, He could do whatever he wanted when it came to uh, eliminating student loan debt. But when it came to the border, he basically wasn't even president. He was just another person watching this disaster unfold. Well, now we're hearing that he actually might use an executive action to try to stanch the flow. And that will be something to see because up until this point, I was told he couldn't do anything. Now, in Boston, what we're seeing is that there's a lot of um, centers, facilities that are being taken over and being used for illegal aliens. I wanted to play you a cut here. This is from WBZ, and it's a young boy. He was uh, ready for baseball practice, and uh, then things went in another direction. Cut five, please. It's been two weeks since the Melnea Cash Recreational Community Center in Roxbury was converted into an emergency shelter for migrant families. Hundreds of beds now cover the indoor track and soccer fields where neighborhood children like 12-year-old Jeremiah Rodriguez thought he had baseball practice this weekend. We usually practice 
And what happened when you went here today? Uh, they were closed. Closed to the public as dozens of families are now living in the shelter who were at one point sleeping in Logan Airport as the state shelter system is stretched to the limit. And when you're looking at what's happening at the Melnia Cass Recreation Center, but really in, in all different parts of the state, I'm noticing that when it comes to people's kids, they're getting a little bit less concerned about sounding politically correct, although there is still that fear. Like even when people are saying something that is totally um, logical, there's nothing about what these Boston residents are saying that's offensive or mean. They have to preface it with, listen, I, I care about immigrants and I care. Well, no one's suggesting that you don't care about people. No one's suggesting that you're a mean person. It's strange to me that it always has to start with that before they can say the obvious, which is this is not going to work. This is not fair. These these illegal aliens are not paying taxes. There's people in our community who need these resources. Take You'll understand what I'm saying when, when you listen to this cut. Take a listen to cut four. As a community, voicing our opinion and our, our concerns for the youth center and the elderly programs going down there. And it just seemed like our voices weren't heard. We care about our immigrants, brothers and sisters, right? But it has to be a fair balance. How can you tell people that was down at Mass and at Cass, Mass Ave, for over 10 years, there was no money for them, and now you found money? Yeah. And I would add in here that the only reason that people feel like they have to preface it with that is because of this narrative, this emotional manipulation from Democrats, which they've done to people living in border towns for the last, you know, however many decades, where if you suggest that none of this makes sense and none of this is tenable, then you are somehow a bad person or you somehow don't care about people. And sane people don't believe that sane people don't look at somebody who's complaining about this and say well you must just be mean you must just be heartless no it just means that you're you know it kind of reminds me when people say uh when you're young you vote democrat and then as you get older you vote republican because you start to realize the way of the world and you start to have a little bit of common sense i don't look at anyone who's complaining about this and think they don't care about people or they're heartless i just think that they're starting to see how much of a disaster this is. And it's about time. Recently, a Grace Curley show listener, Candace, called in, and she was telling us how much she loved her thunderstorms. Her furnace was serviced, and afterwards, the smell of oil was lingering in her home. So she turned on her thunderstorms. She had two of them, and she said she was amazed at how quickly it just got rid of the smells. And her husband was amazed, too, because he didn't really believe Candace. He thought she was exaggerating how great these products were. But then he found out that, no, Candace was right. Now, one of the great parts about the thunderstorm is it isn't a flowery plug-in. It's not something like perfumey that's going to try to cover up weird smells. It's going to eliminate odors. You want to get rid of smells, you want the thunderstorm, and you want the three-pack special. So here's what I want you to do. Go to EdenPureDeals.com, check out the three-pack special, and then when you decide to buy it, which I know you're going to, you want to enter code GRACE3 at checkout. So it's EdenPureDeals.com. Use code GRACE and the number 3 
to get your three-pack special. When we come back, we'll take your calls. It's 844-500-4242. And at some point today, Emma, don't let me finish the show without playing a sound cut from Ann Coulter. Haven't played a cut from her in a long time, but she was on with Bill Maher over the weekend, and uh, she... She silenced the audience. They were in shock over something she said. I have a feeling my audience won't be that surprised by it. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Toby from Cape Gunworks. I'm taking all your firearm and self-defense questions every Tuesday. Join Grace and me for 2A Tuesday, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. This is the Grace Curley Show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. You know, one of our callers said, Grace, do you watch the the weekend shows? And I said, no, I get a recap of them from a lot of different. There's a lot of different websites, including, you know, Twitter, where you can just see the highlights. Um, And that is whether you want to see them or not. And one place that I always try to avoid is any cuts coming out of the view. But this one was just everywhere. So I do think we should play it. This is Joy Behar. Um, Again, if you're going to the view for your political advice, this is your reminder that you might want to change that. Can I have cut one, please? Yeah. Because I know history, and Putin will not stop at Ukraine no. if they don't. If Putin we don't help them. Putin's getting paranoid, and, though. And, and, and Trump is saying that he's going to pull out of NATO. These are allies. They we were all in this together in World War II, and now he's going to pull out but of this. I want outrageous. Does she think so? So run that by me, Emma. Can you try to explain to me what she's thinking? Get in the mind of Joy Behar. So I think that she <laughs> thinks that NATO went up against Hitler in World War II. Okay. I wouldn't put it past her. She does know her history. She started with that. Whenever someone starts with, I know history. Uh, can I also have Joy Behar cut two? Talk about- He's not going to get worse. And then they gave over the Sudetenland to him. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, he's invading Poland. And then he's occupying France. And then he gets Mussolini on his side. This is what Putin is going to do. It's very, very urgent that we not elect this man it's not just about us it's not about just the economy it's about the world's geopolitical issue well, and that's precisely again, my point ho- hold on hold on so this woman who knows history she's telling us that it's very vital that we don't elect trump because putin is going to start taking over he's going to roll into you know all these different parts of europe and he's just going to you know take over i just want to point something out oftentimes democrats like to tell us how the right and Donald Trump especially is constantly fear-mongering, you know, and they're they're getting people to vote for the Republican agenda because of fear. This feels like fear-mongering to me, just a little bit from Joy Behar. We'll be right back. We got more to get to. Don't go anywhere.